0: I believe that what we've been talking about on Sunday evening for the last few weeks is at the heart of the Christian life, servanthood. And um, to come to a subject and deal with the biblical idea of servanthood and not discuss the Sermon on the Mount would, would be terrible tragedy. We would be remiss if we did not do that. Of all the things that Jesus taught, probably the most familiar is the Sermon on the Mount. It is the least understood. And I might I might add, it is the least obeyed. The Sermon on the Mount is filled with simple terms, it's articulate. You don't have to question what he's saying. Clearly defined and terribly hard to follow. Oh, how difficult it is to live out in life. In fact, it is humanly impossible to live like the Sermon on the Mount teaches us to live. Humanly impossible. It's like trying to nail a a poached egg to a tree. I mean, you think you got it, and it slips out of your hands. But everything that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is what a Christian should be and do. Everything He says in the Sermon on the Mount, in that clear, articulate, concise lesson is what a Christian is to be and what a Christian is to do. If someone were to ask me to define or describe the Sermon on the Mount in one word, I would use the word different. It means, it says, it suggests that the child of God, the the citizen of the kingdom is to be radically different from the world around him, from his environment. I think the 6th chapter of Matthew verse 8 might just be a synopsis. It might be the one passage that the one phrase that clearly defines what is said in this sermon. Now you're familiar with the sermon on the mount. You quote verses of scripture from it. You're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth. The Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer, there. You sing about the man who built his house on the rock and the one who built his house on the sand. We're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. And do we know that it's basic, at the basic heart of this, is the teaching that the citizen of the kingdom is to be different? And verse 8 says, Therefore do not be like them. Now, who's he talking about? Who are the them that he talks about? Verse 8 of chapter 6. The government is corrupt. Don't be like them. The synagogue has its form of religion, but it's a farce. Don't be like them. Don't be like the, religious, the religion that is embodied in the Pharisees. It has an outward appearance of righteousness, but on the inside there's decay and death. Don't be like them, be different. Just look at it. Chapter 5, verse 21, And you've heard it said, but I say to you. Verse 27, You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. Verse 31, And it was said, but I say to you. Verse 34, But I say to you. Verse 38, You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Verse 43, you have heard it was said, but I say to you, and turn the page to chapter 6, verse 2, don't be like them. Verse 5, don't do like that. Verse 16, don't be as they. R.W. Stout says that the Sermon on the Mount is the most comprehensive delineation of the Christian counterculture there is. Did you get that? Underline it. The Sermon on the Mount is the most comprehensive delineation of the Christian counterculture. What does that term counterculture mean? It means that the Christian life is counter to the culture of its day. Different. And so Jesus comes to tell us how to be servants, to draw a picture of a servant. And He says at the very outset. You're to be different. And his teachings cut like a hot knife through butter. If you have your outline, I want to give you some general thoughts in introduction. There are three. A, B, C of number one. First, these things that are taught in the Sermon on the Mount are characteristic traits that identify authentic servanthood. They're characteristic traits that identify authentic servanthood. This is a way a servant looks. And all of these are for us. You know, it's not uh, multiple choice or optional. It's not like going into Baskin Robbins and taking your pick or Brahms. All of these are for us. And all of these are attainable. Look at the Sermon on the Mount. It's difficult to live like that, but it's possible. It's not like when Jesus said, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, that ideal toward which men strive but never attain. These things that are defined in the Sermon on the Mount are attainable. It's not like the spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit ministers spiritual gifts sometime one sometime two or three but not all of them to one person except Jesus but all of these characteristic traits are attainable this is the way we should live second thought these things that are found in the sermon on the mount form the road to happiness Blessed are you, he says. That word means, oh, how happy you are. Oh, the bliss of God himself. Oh, how happy and beyond happiness are you if you live like this. It's the most dynamic picture of what it means to be happy anywhere found in the scripture. It's the the way to happiness. And the world cries out, How can I be happy? Billy Graham uh, starts his little book on the Beatitudes with the story of the man who went to the psychiatrist. He was miserably depressed and uh, unhappy. He was just in the pits. He was down. And the psychiatrist said to the man, What you need to do to find some relief is to go and enjoy something. Just enjoy a day by yourself. There's a circus in town, he said, and the world's famous clown is in the circus. Go and just enjoy him. Go and laugh. It'll do you good. Go enjoy the clown. And the man said, Sir, I am that clown. If you want to be happy, Jesus said, you begin to live your life like this. Strange, isn't it? If you want to find the bliss of God, he said, begin to live like a servant begin to minister as a servant ministers in the world. Thought number three. Each one of these beatitudes has a corresponding promise. Each beatitude has a corresponding promise. And so that word just comes in again and again. Blessed are they for, and the promise is assured. Now I want to do four of them tonight. This is so concentrated, I don't want to just skip over them and do all the beatitudes in one sermon. It's like trying to drink concentrated orange juice. I tried that one time. I didn't know you are supposed to pour water in that, you know. I mean, uh, I'm not the cook, and so I got that orange juice out of the freezer and melted it down and and tried to drink it, and that's too rich, it's too strong, it's... It'll make your ears ring and your eyes water. This, this, this is too concentrated to deal with all at one time. And so I want to talk to you tonight about those four Beatitudes, the characteristic traits of the servant. Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit. At first glance, that seems, he seems to be saying, blessed how happy is the man who is financially bankrupt. Who is poor financially. Blessed is the man, it seems at first glance, that, that has a hard time paying his bills. But it is not a financial term. And Barclay gives us some help on, on it when he in his book on the Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes, when he gives us the gives the etymology of the word. And he said, this word came into four came through four stages. The first stage meant was a financial term, a person that had no money. Second stage, because he had no money, he had no prestige or status. Third stage, because he had no prestige or status or money, he was downtrodden and downcast. Stage four, because he had no money, no prestige or status, he was downcast. Had he began in the poverty of his spirit to live in absolute trust of God. Happy is the man who has learned to live in absolute trust in God, who has come to the end of his resources and understands that he has nothing in life but his faith in God. It's not... I have my hands full. I have no need of you. I'll call you when I need you. It's I have nothing in my hand. I need you every hour. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. It's a theological statement of the total depravity of man. It's the belief that I have nothing by choice or birth or heritage. It strikes at the point of our pride and says I am not master of my fate I am not captain of my soul it's the picture of utter helplessness and dependence on God oh what a day when man begins to live in faith I was thumbing over I was thumbing through the uh, book of Revelation just checking it out and I read verse 13 of chapter 3 about the church that made God sick. He said, you folk nauseate me. I want to spew you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, Augustine said, the greatest day of your life may be the day when you are on your knees smiting your breast saying, God be merciful to me. Blessed are they that mourn. It is the strongest word in the Greek language for sorrow. It's the passionate lament for one whose whose loved one has been loved and is lost, like a mother or father, a wife or a husband or a child. Lament. I saw a picture of it this week in the newsreel. I saw this Lebanese woman out in the middle of the street in Beirut standing in her wreckage. And I saw her with her hands up to heaven and her eyes cast that way, and she wailed in lament. Blessed are they that pass through the experience of brokenness. It is the picture of a compassionate heart. It describes those who feel deeply the hurts and the wrongs of life. You can have knowledge and not compassion. You can be orthodox and not compassionate. You can be theologically correct and not compassionate. You cannot care. Kitty Genovese was attacked on the streets of New York and she cried out for help. 38 people watched as she was brutally assaulted. Some from windows, some from street level. And not one so much as even called the police. And Kitty died in the presence, before the eyes of 38 folk who didn't care. Andrew Marlowe was riding the subway, just minding his own business, reading a book. Some thugs got on the subway and stabbed him repeatedly. Eleven times they stabbed him. He fell in his blood. The people watched and did nothing. And even when the subway stopped and the thugs got off and the subway lurched on, people bounced back and forth, jostled on the subway and did nothing. On Fifth Avenue, a woman turned her ankle and fell. Fifth Avenue, some of us were there, the busiest part of New York City, fell and broke her hip. She was writhing in the agony of that, calling for help. And she was there 40 minutes while folk passed by and just watched. And you say, well, that's the way it is in the city. Let me tell you something. You come in here, you can come into this church and sit so close to people that you almost lock your arms and never speak. And there are folks who sit next to you Sunday after Sunday in the sanctuary of the Lord who are hurting and you observe and leave. Blessed are they "...that have compassion, for they shall be comforted." F.F. F. Bruce said, "...if there is no suffering, there will be no comfort." Let me, let me get you to write this down on the, some ca- graffiti on the walls of your mind. Would you write this down? God never wastes suffering." If you pass through the fire, you may be scarred, but it will be in order that you might be comforted and comfort others. Blessed are the gentle. Now, it doesn't mean spineless. Meek is the King James. It means power under control. It means the taming of a wild stallion. It means power brought under subjection. First time I remember going to the dentist, I can remember, you know, pleading with him, you know, be gentle. Oh, please, you know, don't hurt me. And he was. It's the idea of of, of soothing medicine. That's the picture here. It's, It's the idea of removing the irritation from the wound. Last summer, we went out to California uh, to the convention prior to the uh, uh, mission trip up in Oregon, and we decided we'd go to the beach and we did and it was cloudy I mean you know what I never I don't guess we ever saw the sun and it was cool and we thought, well, you know this is a good time you won't get won't get sunburned you know so we swam in the beach at the beach in California. Just got blistered. I had big old sores on my ankles. I just raw, blistered. And I couldn't even stand to, you know, put the sheet on on my legs at night. And so I got up, we were all sick. And I got up and I went down to this all night uh, drugstore and I said if you got something that'll help he said I've got some sunburn medicine oh that felt good you know I just wanted to bathe in it if I could have gotten enough just to take a bath in it you could just put it on the wound and it just, just feels so cool and good it took the sting out that's what it means to be gentle do you hurt people? Are you abrasive? Do you find some kind of a weird, distorted satisfaction seeing people hurt? The characteristic of the servant is a person who wants to heal. Blessed are the gentle, for they'll become a doormat. No, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Look around you, and you will claim what the evil claims. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I can take a lot of things, but I have a problem um, looking at these little children, hungry children. You know, you've seen the pictures in the magazines. There they are, just with their eyes saying, can you give me something to eat? What does it mean to hunger and thirst after righteousness? It means I read God into every experience. It means I counsel with God at every crossroad. It means I listen closely to what God says from His book It means I talk to Him and I take Him seriously and I hear Him. It means that I long to know Him. One of the ancients, Bernard of of Clairvaux, says it like this, Jesus, the very thought of Thee with sweetness fills my breast, but sweeter far Thy face to see and in Thy presence rest. Oh, to know God. to hunger and to thirst after him, it says, is to be filled. And A.T. Robinson is in that marvelous book on uh, Word Studies on the New Testament says that's a picture of fodder. It's the picture of feeding the cattle until they're fat. And I know something about that in West Texas. And they have these big cattle feedlots. And there they stand and all they do is feed them. And they're plush and fat and satisfied. Is there in you, perhaps, a kind of an insatiable desire to know God, to walk with Him, to fellowship with Him, see His face? You will be satisfied. Now, three questions we have to ask and application three questions number one if at the heart of the Beatitudes is this fact that we are to be different am I now listen up will you am I am I really different am I really different with the group I'm in at school? Am I really different from the other sales force? Am I really different where I am, where I work? Am I really different? If the characteristic of my world is to be arrogantly independent, am I... Dependent upon God, am I really different? If the characteristic of my world is to do my own thing, have I, am I really different? Do I live in trust and faith? If the characteristic of my world is to see its, see our world in total unconcern and apathy, am I really different? Do I have a compassionate heart? Do I ache with those who ache? Do I feel with those who suffer? Am I really different? If the characteristic of my world is to be abrasive and and violent, am I really gentle? Do I soothe and bring help? Am I really different? If the characteristic of my world is to be totally dissatisfied with the things of God, do I really hunger and thirst after righteousness? Am I really different? Are you really unique? Question number two. Do I care if I'm not? I mean, do I care if, I'm, if I am or not? Who cares? You know. Do I care that I've lived half my life and am not any different? Does that really bother me? Does it bother you? Do you really care that you're no different from the rest. Question number three. Will today make any difference? I mean, you're going to fold up your paper and you're going to put it over there in your little Bible and you're going to reach over there and you're going to get your keys and you're going to... uh, we're going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to walk out. You're going to put your key in your car. You're going to crank it up. You're going to go home, shut the door, turn on the television, watch, the, watch uh, Trapper John, see the news, and then you're going to bed. And tomorrow, you probably won't even think about what's been said. Isn't that right? Is today going to be any different? You know, we come to church Sunday after Sunday, is today going to be indifferent? I mean, we've heard so many sermons. You know, the average Southern Baptist, listen to this. The average Southern Baptist hears 4,000 sermons, hears 8,000 public prayers, sings 20,000 hymns, and wins not one single person to Christ. I mean, we come to church, sing the hymns, say the prayers, hear the sermons, go home, no different. Is tonight going to be any different? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us to realize. Our wretchedness and our blindness, our nakedness, our need. Help us to feel the pulse of our world and really care. Help us to be ashamed that we've been so sharp Sarcastic, abrasive, ugly. Help us to know that we have hungered for everything but God. And help us to care. In Jesus' name, I pray.